Our organization is celebrating our 50-year anniversary next year. Besides history, how do we make our nonprofit's story seem exciting and fresh? I think you have so much to work with here that I actually am super excited for you, even though it sounds like you're feeling a little bit like ho-hum, right? Like we're not the innovative, hot new thing, which is easy to fall into that trap, right? We're the good old faithful, reliable nonprofit. And yet you have been around for 50 years. So you're doing something right. You've obviously have ton of impact and stories and success stories and case studies that you could use as part of this 50th, 50 years. So I think it's a way to showcase not only kind of where you've been, but almost like a then and now. I was thinking about when I heard this question, I was thinking about, you know, when you have a birthday, have you ever seen those things where you can order like, oh, 40 years ago or 60 years ago today, here's what was going on. I was like, you could have something fun with this of like, here's that origin story. And because of you and your support and in whomever you're sharing that with, and because of, you know, the hard, you know, the hard work of our volunteers and all of these key stakeholders who help make this possible, look at where we are today. So I think it's a then and now sort of approach. And I also think it shows, I, I think you can say in our our vision is as strong as ever because while we as an organization are a steady force, the environment's constantly changing around us, right? Technology's changing. The way we have to approach the new issues that our clients are facing today is different than ever. So there's your new and sort of piece about how are you addressing these new challenges today? So you take them on this journey from this is where we've been, this is a success we've had. It is still rapidly changing and we still need your help moving forward. And here's our vision for the future. So you just take, you take whomever you're communicating this with on that journey with you and really make it exciting about you're on the pulse. Just because you've been around for a while doesn't mean you haven't lost touch with what's going on. So like you're, you're keeping on the pulse of, of society's changes and your your client changes and how you meet their needs now. And you need investments. You need new investments and new people to help you get to the next stage. So that's that's the way I would do it. How about you, Andy? No, I think you said you said exactly what I was going to say, which was if, you know, you're not doing what you were doing 50 years ago and 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 highlighting your history might not be. I mean, it's interesting to say you've been around for 50 years, but that highlighting your history might not be anything that's going to be exciting and fresh. What's exciting and fresh is what's happening right now, like what you're doing to solve whatever whatever social issue you're working on. That's what's exciting and fresh. And I'd, I'd say, you know, most organizations would look at somebody who's 50 years old and just see see stability and good management practices and sort of quality over time. And it's just something that you don't need to prove to anybody, which is, which is what a lot of organizations do. They, they they have to prove all the time that they're doing things right by just by virtue of being 50 years old, you're telling everybody, look, we're solid. And here's all the amazing new things that we're doing. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend an awful lot of time on it, honestly. Yeah. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything. The podcast where hosts Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. 
Hello and welcome. It's the Nonprofit Everything Podcast. I'm Andy Schurecht. I'm here with my fantastic, super awesome, amazing, great co-host, Stacey Wedding. And we're here to help answer some nonprofit questions. So if this is your first time, welcome. We're really happy that you're here. Uh, the way this works is you send us questions and Stacy and I do our best to answer them if we can't or if we just feel like we need backup or we want to talk to somebody cool, we will rope in a guest expert and ask that guest expert the same question. So send us the questions, please. The easiest way to do that, go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage. That's nonprofiteverything.com. There's a bright, shiny question button that you can click. That's how a lot of people send it. You can also just email us if you're near an email or, or this is actually an easy way to remember. You just email questions at nonprofiteverything.com. A fun tip, you can actually use anything. <laughs> any any name at nonprofiteverything.com shows up in our inbox. So um, be creative. Send us, send us something to elephant at nonprofiteverything.com. Whatever you want, send that to us. We will get those questions answered as quickly as we possibly can. They do start to stack up. So if you feel like you asked us a question and we're ignoring you. We're not actually ignoring you. It's just down the queue a little bit. So be patient and we'll get to it. If you want us to answer something faster, if you think that the question requires a little more explanation, we have a Discord channel as well. The way to get an invite to that Discord channel is to go to nonprofiteverything.com. The link is also in every show notes. It's at the bottom of each of the show notes there too. So you can click that and uh, that'll get you to our Discord. And then you can join us and chat with us whenever you want, which is even more fun. So welcome. And with that, we're going to jump right in. Recently, we had a board retreat and our facilitator brought up the idea of implementing a consent agenda as part of our board meetings. Everyone nodded in agreement, but I'm sensing that, like me, nobody actually knows what a consent agenda is or why we should use it. Can you give me the 101 overview of these agendas and why they're something we should consider? Yeah, this must be a hot topic, uh, Andy, because we've gotten similar questions. And I think that yeah. uh, I'm glad people are aware of or learning about this tool because I think it can be a super helpful tool. So uh, I always joke and say, are you spending too much time like on the in the weeds or in the nitty gritty, like, I don't know, editing your minutes in meetings and consent agenda is a great tool to avoid that, right? So consent agendas are basically a way to take routine standard items, everything from minutes to standard kind of, if it's just a financial update, if it's committee reports or committee meeting minutes, things that really are just a source of information exchange, right, that don't require discussion, but that you want to make sure the board is in the loop and potentially if it needs to be approved is being approved. And it just goes, it's at the front of your, you know, agenda. It's this routine item. And with one motion and one vote, yes or no, I approve or, you know, accept all the items in the consent agenda, you knock out four to five items or whatever is on your consent agenda in just a quick second. So it's super great for just moving meetings along um, and, you know, making sure that you're not spending all this time on stuff that's just should be done in advance of a meeting. Um, th that's actually one of the key things, right, is making sure people actually are reading their items for the consent agenda or else I, I think you and I've talked about that before, right? Otherwise, what's the point? Right. <laughs> 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you, I just think it's a great streamlining tool. I worked with organizations. I don't know, Andy, if you've ever seen organizations that don't use this. I mean, I've seen some organizations where they really don't have the kind of structure for their organization that requires a consent agenda. So it's not like something that I think you have to do. It's really just a tool if you want to be more efficient and you want to streamline or you're finding yourself doing a lot of just one-way communication report out with just a simple vote. And the good news is someone, if they like see a consent agenda item that they they want to discuss, or maybe it's minutes that had an error in it. You can say very easily, "I, ex- you know, I'm fine accepting all the consent agenda items, but I'd like to pull this report for further discussion into the main agenda, or I'd like to." There was a an error in the minutes. I'd like to pull that into the, you know, just you know the the main agenda or something we need to discuss. So if there's something like that, you can also easily pull them out. So again, like great great tool for those who need it. And if your organization doesn't need it, don't don't kill yourself. If all you're doing is like board meeting minutes and that's all you put in your consent agenda because of the way you structure your meetings, then there's probably not much of a point. So so, so what kinds of things would you put in a consent agenda? Like what should go in there and what shouldn't go in there? So I always say, Again, like I think if it's things that are more procedural or that just require the board being in the loop, so sort of that info exchange, but doesn't require discussion. So an executive director report could potentially go in a consent agenda, right? Because it's just, hey, here's what I've been up to. But if the ED wants to actually bring any items forward to the board to actually discuss, they can do that separate as a separate agenda item. So it's still like, here's kind of the report out of high level stuff of what's been going on in the organization for you to be in the loop on. But here's in the main agenda, what I actually really want to discuss or get your feedback on. So that would be one example. Obviously, board minutes are pretty typical. Committee minutes, you don't need to, you know, like these committee reports are ridiculous half the time because it's just a one-way dialogue. So have the committee minutes in there. But if you as a committee, again, want to sort of discuss a larger policy issue or want to get board feedback or you want to present a few options for the board to consider, again, that requires discussion. So I say things that just aren't informational, but things that require discussion or sort of my litmus test. Um, I know there's different schools of thought. I'd love to know your thoughts on this, Andy. I think financials, like just a financial update or sort of report um, is fine to put, you know, in the consent agenda But if there's a larger discussion that needs to take place about like the finances, then again, like that's a different conversation and that's a conversational piece like, hey, we really need to, we're struggling here or we're knocking it out of the park and keep doing what you're doing, whatever. Like that's a little different than just, hey, here's budget to actual, right? Or profit and loss or, you know, all balance statement. I don't know, that kind of stuff. I don't know. What do you think about the financial piece, Andy? Um, I don't know. I, I like discussing the financial piece in the board meeting. I think that's an important thing to give people the opportunity to have comments on, um, only because I'm very skeptical that most board members actually know what they're looking at there. You give them the financial statements and they pretend that they understand like the cash flow, the direct, the indirect cash flow statement is possibly my favorite statement that boards just do not understand. They look at it and they go, looks great. And they have no idea what it means. 
So, so having the opportunity to like sort of walk through things slowly rather than just putting it, you know, sort of hiding it within the consent agenda bucket. Yeah. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I, I think it also really depends on your board yeah. too. So if you have a board, like I've worked with big organizations that have boards that are notorious for not doing any work before the board yeah. meeting. Like they get the, you know, they demand the packet a week beforehand, yeah. but then they don't actually look yeah. at it. And so you can tell, like, you want to approve the minutes and everybody's quickly reading the minutes to make sure that they have read the minutes before they approve them, right? Yeah. So depending on your board, if you've got a board like that, even if it is a bunch of mundane stuff, um, the the point of the board meeting isn't to go as fast as possible, I'd say. The point of the board meeting is to make sure that the board is aware of everything they need to be aware of for the governance of the organization. So it could be different for every organization and size doesn't make a lot of difference. Yeah. It's more sort of board capability, I'd say. I think it's a that's a really good point. And as an example, I was just talking to a board who we we were having a discussion, right? I was facilitating a discussion about whether they wanted to implement this. And one of the things that came up was they really feel connected to the mission more hearing the executive director's report. And they really appreciate knowing what's going on. And they said, we feel like we'd lose something without it. So great dialogue, right? And so for them, they were like, and they don't have committees, right? They have maybe an executive committee and that's it. So they were like, there's really not much of a need and we don't also meet frequently enough. So like, it's kind of like if we're meeting quarterly, <laughs> then what are we doing trying to move through the agenda? So I think you raise a really good point. I mean, I, I do think it depends I mean, the key is, is like you get this opportunity. I think people don't spend enough time really making the most of their board meetings. They they aren't being thoughtful about what is it that we really, we've got these people we've recruited for their expertise, their strengths, and yet we don't ask them anything. We just kind of do these report outs the entire time without actually having dialogue or getting feedback or having people brainstorm with us or help us solve things or, you know, discuss strategic issues the organization should be thinking. So I think when you run into that, it's a larger picture of like, is that not happening? Because you're spending too much time on these non-controversial routine items. And if that's the case, then yeah, a consent agenda, absolutely. Now, if you're able to do it all and you don't need a consent agenda, like don't do it. But I think your point's well taken. Yeah. So that I think what you that just like brings up another sort of topic. This is probably not part of the question, but I think it's important to bring up is like, what's the point of the board meeting overall? Like I can see so in in some organizations I've worked with, it's it's you, you want to get them in and out as fast as possible so they don't wreck everything, right? You've got the staff has everything under control. Like we, the organization's running fine. And when the board comes in, it's just there to, they're just there to sort of knock over chairs and just like make it worse. And so you try to make the, the board meeting design it so that they have the least amount of opportunity to make things harder for staff, Right. And then you have other organizations where you really need their assistance. You really want the board to be engaged and enthusiastic and sort of helping the organization move forward. And in those cases, you might want to spend more time, you know, get the get the boring stuff out of the way so you can spend more time talking about the more interesting things. Right. I think it's a it's sort of a bigger question. Like so. So the question of whether or not should we use a, a consent agenda 
like there is no answer because it really depends on what you need out of your board. And if you need more time for other discussion and this stuff's taking up too much time, you might want to consider it. Um, or you might want to do the opposite just because you want to have them engaged in all of those conversations. So yeah, so I love, I love it when we get a question and we have like no answer. I know. It's like, we could tell you what it is, but we can't tell you if it's good for you. I, I do think though, what we could do for the person who asked it, because I also think sometimes people have a hard time visualizing what does an agenda look like with a consent agenda. So we will put a link in the show notes to some sample or at least one sample consent agenda and you can see the format of it if you do decide to do that. And, you know, one final thought is that people should not, this should just not be a one or two person decision. This is a discussion that you have, whether it's your governance committee or your full board, you know, or the governance committee makes a recommendation, but you really want to get full board feedback on it and not just all of a sudden change up the format. It, it really should be a board decision. So, uh, hopefully that, uh, I don't know, provided some clarity. But as you said, Andy, it's kind of a one of those, it just depends. Hey, Andy, here's a question. And we got a compliment in here too. So that's always fun Yay. for us. Hello, your podcast has been a huge help for me the last few months. I joined a tiny brand new nonprofit in February as the operations director Part of my work is establishing best practices and policies for all things financial. I am struggling with how to accurately reflect donations within our CRM platform, and I'm hoping you can help. Below are some examples that have me flummoxed. So I'm going to just read this one to you, Andy. There's a few questions tied into it. Internally, we met with John Doe, who gave us a $50,000 grant from... XYZ grant name. The check came from the Community Foundation. The letter accompanying the check says the directors of the Community Foundation have approved a $50,000 advised grant for this specific programmatic work. This grant is made at the recommendation of one or more donor advisors through a donor advised fund at the Community Foundation. My question, how do I record this donation in our CRM? Nowhere on the award letter does it say the grant name or the individual. And yet we know internally that John Doe gave us this grant. Who gets credit? Is there a soft credit? Who gets acknowledged, if anyone? Who gets the thank you note? So, wow, there's like five questions in one, but I think they're all interconnected. So, Yeah, this is fun. And this is one of those things that I think... I think I've had this conversation with development folks and finance folks probably a thousand times, this exact thing. So one of the things I want to do is back up just a little bit and, and spend some time clarifying the question to make it so that's a little clearer what we're talking about here. So basically, we know that a donor has given us money, but he's used the community foundation as the vehicle. So the donor said has a fund at the community foundation and says, I want you to give $50,000 from my fund to the nonprofit. And so the community foundation does that and they send their letter, which has this really weird language on it, you know, that says, and the reason they do that is number one, they're lazy. Number two, they have this 
Um, one of the things that donor advised funds do, which is what a community foundation is housing, is they have the ability to, to give money anonymously. They can sort of be the anonymous filter between the donor and the organization. And some community foundations are really good at saying, would you like me to put your name on this thing or should we make it anonymous? And then they're very clear about it came from this person or the donor wishes to be anonymous, right? They're super clear. This one is not. This one is like they're boring, like boilerplate junk that just comes along with it. It says blah, 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 came from who, who knows what, right? So, so you've been given some information by, this, by the community foundation, but really not enough to be able to make all of these decisions the correct way. Um, so that's, that's kind of clarifying the whole challenge here. And then the other side of the challenge is we've got this, these things that this phrase that came up, which may be unfamiliar to people that don't live in this world, which is soft credit. So soft credit, as far as I'm aware, soft credit, the word came from razor's edge back when it was a DOS program, when I first started using it, like in 1935, like, so it's the oldest the oldest instance of soft credit came from donor management systems. So something like Razor's Edge from a very, very long time ago. And what the purpose of that was, and when they sort of invented the term, like community foundations existed, donor advised funds were very small. It's not something that really had existed to the significant way that they do now. But but the reason it came across it came out was what well, this was the scenario that they'd originally planned for is Mrs. Smith who is very engaged with your organization, wants to give you $10,000. But Mrs. Smith, because she's a thousand years old, does not have her own checkbook. She needs to write the check out of Mr. Smith's checkbook. And so the check says Mr. John Smith, and that's what gets put into your system. And you know that John Smith has no idea who you are, and it's all Mrs. Smith. And so you want to be able to record that Mrs. Smith is the donor here, even though the money came from Mr. Smith's bank account. Does that make sense? So we were dealing with this concept of like, this came from somebody, but we want to be able to thank other people. We yep. want to be able to keep track that when we're reaching out, that the letter that goes out should have Mrs. Smith's name on it. It shouldn't go to Mr. Smith, yep. he'll throw it away. It go to Mrs. Right. Smith's names because she's the one that's the driver of this giving. Yep, so, yep. so we created this thing called soft credit, which lives entirely in your donor management system, which we now call CRM because everything's corporatized customer relationship management, right? Still a donor management system where we can then say this gift, um, we want to know when we look into the system, we want to be able to know that this gift is sort of linked to all these different people. Like this is the checkbook it came from, but this is the driver of the donation. And in this example, with the donor advised fund, there's a community foundation involved. So the official donor is the community foundation, but you know it's John Doe. So you're going to soft credit John Doe. You might soft credit somebody else who's the, the financial advisor to John Doe, who, who talks to John Doe about your organization and says, oh, it's tax time. You need to be able to give to this. You might want to have that person tagged as a soft credit as well. So that when you're talking to that person, the financial advisor, you can say, oh, we see that John Doe gave us a gift through the community foundation for $50,000. Thank you. Right. That you might want to put that person on the board if they're the ones that are actually driving the gifts. Right. So from the, from the, the CRM or the donor management system perspective, you want to have all the people in there, as many people as you can think of that have relationships with this particular donation is being soft credited against that donation. Where the friction comes is where 
all of a sudden you've got an accountant involved or a bookkeeper involved who's like, no, we got one check for $50,000 and it came from the Community Foundation. I don't want to know anything else about anything else. I want to know $50,000 Community Foundation. That's it. And that's okay because the accounting side, the bookkeeper side has rules that they need to follow about revenue recognition and when it goes into the system and what backup we need and all that accounting nonsense, right? So for them, they're going to have one gift from the community foundation for $50,000 and that's it. So whether those two things, those two systems are connected is kind of up to you internally. They don't have to be. The donor management system can have 50 people attached to that gift. The accounting system has to have one person attached to that gift. And there's no reason to include additional friction about how you're tracking it in the bookkeeping system and the accounting system, because it's going to go have to go in one way. And that's because there's rules about accounting. So so you shouldn't have to really worry about it. So in the in the in the question, there was another example, um, which was more complicated, where we're receiving matching donations through a big national donation provider like a a, a um a corporate giving employee giving program provider. So you get a lump sum check for $12,000, which includes five different individuals, which may have some matched by their corporations and some not, not matched by their corporations. Right. So, so recognizing that you've got two systems that you're going to treat separately on the CRM side, on the donor management side. Yeah. You want to break that down as far as you can. You want to get as many names in that system as you can connected to those gifts on the, on the accounting side, you might just have one $12,000 check that came from the American Online Giving Foundation or whatever, right? So that's going to go in one time. And then how those two things get reconciled is a sort of a different question that you're going to be able to have to say, like this $12,000 check may be connected to these 50 entries in the donor management system, but that's only for you to really care about. That's not something that your, your auditor's never going to ask about. Your board might be confused. Like if we look at the donor management system, it's like we've got a zillion dollars. But if we look at the accounting system, we've only got, you know, $500,000. Like, why is it different? And you could say, oh, well, there are these things called soft credits that we're just applying to these people so that we can thank them appropriately. So um, it's a it's a complicated thing, but sort of recognizing that you have two different universes you need to worry about. One where you want all the information and one where you only want the one piece of information, I think, is a way to clear it up pretty easily. And I'm going to add another layer of complication just because, hey, that's what I do, right? So I was thinking about one of the questions, and we may have gotten it before, Andy, but one of the questions I've gotten over the years has been, especially because I used to work at a community foundation a a while ago, um, and one of the questions we would get was, you know, we'd get the thank you from the nonprofit. So this goes into the thank you, right? The community foundation would get the thank you. Thank you so much for the... $10,000 10000 or $50,000 or whatever from such and such fund. And this, this receipt, this letter serves as your receipt for tax deductibility purposes, right? There was no need because like the donor already got, the donor gave to the community foundation and got their tax deduction through that donation. So at this point, there is no need to say that this is tax deductible because it's that's already been handled. So it's just a straight thank you. And then I would add the other, and Andy, you may clean up what I just said, because maybe it confused things more. But the other thing I was thinking about related to this is I'm going to wear a community foundation hat for a moment and a donor hat, because I've done both. I've had a fund at a community foundation and I've worked at a community foundation. And I think that 
I would rather you do more thank yous than few than too few thank yous. And here's why. So yes, you know John Doe in this example, John Doe gave through the Community Foundation. You know it was John Doe and you got the generic letter from the Community Foundation. I absolutely think that you know, this warrants a thank you to John Doe. But if you have a personal relationship where you have John's John Doe's address that you can just send it to him directly, great. If not, you can go through the Community Foundation, you know, say this is in care of such and such, so and so donor. Um, but also the Community Foundation. And here's why. And I think there's two schools of thought on this. But I know when I worked at a community foundation, there were times where I was working with a donor where I absolutely helped advise and connect them to a nonprofit. Like they wouldn't have known about this nonprofit if it wasn't my role at the community foundation saying, hey, donor, John Doe, like, I know you're passionate about this and there's this really cool cause that is a really good fit. I'd love to get you introduced. And so the community foundation played a role in that. So I do think also sort of sometimes a separate thank you to the community foundation is another another thing to keep in mind for something like this because you have no clue what role the community foundation did or didn't play in that and you know it can't hurt you know it can't hurt to say thank you too much than not enough so that's my rule of thumb yeah totally agree the the only weird thing is that like you mentioned at the beginning is that only one donor can get the receipt and that's the one that went into the accounting system. So if the community foundation wrote you the $50,000 check, they get the receipt. And a lot of times nonprofits will sort of conflate the receipt and the thank you note. Like that comes as one unit. Yeah. And it's like, thank you so much for your gift, blah, blah, blah. We're going to use it to do these things. Blah, blah, blah. And then at the bottom, it's like, like the boilerplate about what you're going to do with the gift and that it were tax deductible and this is our EIN and the, here's our blah, 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 right? That thing goes at the bottom. So as long as you're not giving away multiple receipts, because the IRS will get annoyed by that, but at the other end of the spectrum, it's actually not really your problem. So you're required to give receipts. Nonprofits are only required to give receipts for gifts over a certain dollar amount. I think it's $500, um, I will look and we will put the official answer in the show notes. Hey, it's Andy from the editing room. I checked it's $250. And if you still need help sleeping, I've put a link to the official IRS document in the show notes. You're only required to give receipts after a certain dollar threshold. Um, but we're going to do it for everybody. You're an idiot if you're not giving receipts for 50 cents, right? You have to be making those communications. So you just want to yeah. make sure that you're not accidentally um, giving a tax receipt to the person that gave the money to the community foundation, which then they can use to cheat on their taxes. At the end of the day, though, it's not your problem. Like if they cheat on their taxes, it's not there. Nobody's ever going to come back to you and said, well, you shouldn't have given them the receipt. Like the community foundation may be grumpy about it. The donor sure is going to be grumpy about it. So you might want to like not try to put them in that position. But the way you do that is just say, you know, what goes into the accounting system is what gets the official tax receipt. What goes into the CRM, you're free to do whatever you want in terms of thanking them that way. Like, thank you for facilitating the gift through the community foundation. You know, there's lots of language you can use that says you're aware that we get, you gave me money through this other system or Thank you so much for having a matching, your corporation, having a matching program that allowed these people at your organization to give us money, right? They didn't, you know, the, 
the, yep. the, the, th- the official thank you has been given already for them, but that doesn't prevent you from, from saying it yourself. So totally agree. hundred percent. Thank everybody all the time. Thank you for writing the question. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening today. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I hope there was something interesting. I hope you learned something new or at least heard something to get excited about maybe for the future. Remember, send us questions. You can go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage, nonprofiteverything.com, has show notes with more information about what we talked about today, as well as links to Discord and a really easy way to ask us questions by just clicking that question button or send an email to anything at all at nonprofiteverything.com and we'll get it. Questions at nonprofiteverything.com probably makes the most sense, but do what you feel. Also, stay tuned in two weeks, August 2nd, we are going to have one of the most high profile guest experts we've had in the 135 episodes we've done so far. So mark your calendars sometime in the morning, that episode's going to drop. We'll also probably do a little bit of teaser maybe next week, just so you can get a sense of what's coming up, but uh, don't miss it. And thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.